0: Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the give button in the top right corner. You guys are amazing. Um, I, I want to talk today about uh, how God speaks to us. I just have a few minutes, which means a few hours. <laughs> Preachers lie. Not, not this preacher, though. Not this preacher. Um, but I, I'm going to go straight. Actually I'm actually not going to go straight to Acts two, but if, if you brought your Bibles, turn to Acts two, I'm going to read a few verses out of, of Acts two and the day of Pentecost. Is it Pentecost Sunday today? I think it is Pentecost Sunday today. So we're going to talk a little bit about Pentecost. Uh, how many of you have been here over the last few weeks? Okay. You've been here over the last few weeks. So we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, today I want to talk about, um, God speaking to us and God speaking through us. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I sat my um, my kids down. How many of you parents here today, uh, you have, like, your nightly routine? And uh, one of our nightly routines is I like to take take about an hour uh, pretty much every night. Not every night, but pretty much every night. And I like to read the Bible to my kids and, and like to define fancy theological words. And the kids love it. Who are we kidding? I love it, you know. And, uh, and then, we, you know, we have memory verse, recitation, all that kind of good stuff. And then the last few weeks, I just... I want to be careful. I don't want to give lip service to God speaking to us and actually not practicing hearing God's voice, and uh, I think there is kind of this low-grade, I don't know what you call it, not spirituality, but this low-grade skepticism within the church, like people come to church, and they feel like God speaks to them at church, but Monday through Saturday, God's voice is non-existent, and uh, so I, I won't really wanted to teach my kids not just some like some abstract theology. I wanted to teach them how to hear God's voice. So a couple weeks ago, we started like this new routine at the end of reading the Bible and going through memory verses and defining fancy theological words that we would uh, shut our eyes, we would be still, and we would practice listening to the Holy Spirit. So that took about 15 minutes to get them to stay still. But once they um, once they got to that point, they closed their eyes, and uh, this is what happened about two weeks ago in one particular instance, and uh, they, for about a minute, they closed their eyes, they waited on the Holy Spirit, and then at the end, Quincy looked up to me and goes, hey, Dad, I just, I felt like the Holy Spirit told me that I'm the best kid in the world, <laughs> you know, I, but I, and it, hey, and it was somewhat right, you know, I, I, God thinks we're all the best in the world, can I get an amen to that? His interpretation was a little bit narcissistic, so we're working on that part with him. Uh, and then we moved to my, my little precious girl, Whitney, and she, uh, she goes, Dad, Daddy, I, I just felt like um, the Holy Spirit told me that I'm a really good girl. And I'm like, yes, um, yes, Whit, it's absolutely right. And uh, I am just so proud of my kids. You know, they really are serious about hearing, hearing the voice of God. How many of you believe that God speaks today? Uh, we believe the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And so uh, we get to Wesley. Wesley has, he's up on his top bunk, and he has this like, wry smiles. I know, he's, he's a jokester. And he looks down to me, and he says, Dad, Jesus spoke to me. And he asked me a question. And the question was, why do you guys like the Dallas Cowboys so much? And I actually think that was the Holy Spirit. And uh, how many think that God has a sense of humor? Uh, I, I I'm doing that. I'm still doing this every night. I want my kids to practice hearing the voice of God. I don't I don't want to embrace this. Might be too strong of a word, but collude with this low grade skepticism about God's activity. In our life, Uh, we've been talking about this for um, some time now. We we have basically a deistic worldview, meaning that God only does something on Sunday and speaks to us on Sunday, and then we just kind of have to survive. We just kind of have to grit our teeth Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, and Saturday. And somehow during the week, the market forces, laissez-faire economics, whatever the powers to be forces out there, kind of rule the world. And as Christians, we don't believe that. We believe that God is intimately. Involved not just on Sundays, but he's intimately involved in our lives Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Sunday. then the next Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, come on, Monday, Tuesday. And God is at work in our lives, and he speaks to us. And I think this is important because we've grown up in this Western uh, milieu where Charles Taylor, have you heard of him? He's a famous sociologist. Uh, He came up with this seminal book called uh, Secular Age, and in it he talks about reductive materialism. And he basically says that as Americans or people who live in the West, they start from an assumption that this world is empty It's uh, meaningless. It's it's a void, right? And he goes on, in in his words, he says Americans or people who live in the West are haunted by transcendence in the secular age. Uh, we, we basically don't believe that there's a God. We're not talking about Christians, but just in general, our society doesn't believe in the existence of God, but we wish there was a God. In fact, there was one scholar who got up, he was a famous atheist in his commencement speech, and uh, he began by saying, I do not believe in God, but I sure miss him. I miss him. I sure wish that there was God. In fact, one New Testament scholar he wrote, and this is more descriptive, not prescriptive, but he kind of wrote about the um, the life of many Christians and their experience. Is it's not, and this is kind of a paraphrase. It's not that we come to church because we want the presence of God. And sure, we want the presence of God, but the reason why people are driven into church is because Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday fill his absence, and it's the absence, quote unquote, uh, that describes. Uh, the life of many Christians, and it drives, it's the impetus that brings people to church, but that's not the life that should give shape to following Jesus, and uh, we believe that God has a voice. And we believe that God speaks to us, and we believe that God is intimately at work in our life. Let me just say this really quick. In Genesis chapter one, uh, we have this kind of this view. It's, it's poetry, and in the ancient Near East, we have uh, some uh, f- fascinating language. Find in Genesis chapter one, verse one. I just want to read this really quick. It says, "In the beginning, God." Everyone say God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. It was shapeless. It's ex nihilo, right? There's nothingness, there's no meaning. It's formless, it's chaotic. It feels like the Washington Redskin's soul. Okay, anyways, let's go on. Uh, But it was while form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering or fluttering. One Aramaic translation, Aramaic Targum uh, has the picture of the Holy Spirit hovering over the dark, formless, shapeless, chaotic waters. And in verse 3, it says, and God not thought, but God said, let there be light. I want you to to see the relationship between the cosmos, the shaping of the cosmos, and the building of the planets and um, uh, the material world and time and space with God not thinking it into existence, but God speaking it into existence. Let me just say this really quick. God is not like some formless, shapeless, like disembodied blob that flutters out in the cosmos somewhere. Unfortunately, many people relate. They don't think it consciously about God, but they, their lives kind of reflect that God is somehow some distant blob that has been devoiced. Yet what we see in Genesis is that the relationship between the cosmos and people and animals and God himself is shaped by God's voice and his speaking. So he speaks and then you have water. He speaks. You have luscious plants. You speak, you, He speaks and you have seeds and all the vegetarians said amen to that. He speaks, and you have life. He speaks, and there's constellations, and he begins to speak vocation and meaning. He defines what it means to be human. God is a speaker. That's right. That's right. So we come to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11, uh, we have this fascinating passage, and uh, it's about um, the glory of God coming down. And Some of you are probably familiar with this. But the glory of God comes down. Uh, This is Moses and the people. They're in the wilderness, and they've been complaining sometimes. So God's glory descends, and uh, God takes the spirit that was on Moses and puts it on 70 elders. Uh, There were two that were missing from this group of 70. They were in their tents, and the Spirit of God also came on them. And the text reads that they begin to prophesy. They begin to speak the word of God. And so Joshua's assistant, uh, he sees this. He's a little bit concerned. The text reads that he's filled with like jealousy. And so he runs to Joshua and says, hey, there's some homeboys, right? They're down the street and they're prophesying. They're speaking God's word. We need to shut this down. And so Joshua gets a little bit concerned. So he goes to Moses and Moses um, looks to Joshua and Joshua's concerned, he says, Moses, we need to, we need to stop what, what, what's going on here. The Spirit of God should only be on you. And Moses, in verse 29 of chapter 11 in the book of Numbers, goes, I wish all my people were prophets. You see, in the Old Testament world, uh, the Spirit of God rested only on prophets, kings, and priests. And there were ecstatic moments, and the Spirit of God would come, and they would declare the word of God, and then God's presence would leave them. So the activity or the role of the Holy Spirit was relegated to, uh, we could call it a hierarchy. You have prophets, kings, and priests, and then some eccentric people that would be filled with the Spirit, and they would speak the Word of God. Well, we come to Acts chapter 2, and uh, we see on the day of Pentecost that something changes to the space-time world. Something changes Uh, or something happens to creation itself, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out, and the 120 people in the upper room are what? They're baptized. Everyone say baptized. They're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And what what happens, we've been talking about this the last few weeks, they begin to speak in languages, or glosa, the praises and prayer of God in all these different languages, so we come to verse 14 of Acts chapter 2. If you, if you turn there, that's great. We'll have the text up behind me. Uh, and it says, but Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them. So there's an accusation now from some people that they've been like, they've been sipping on grandpa's um, cough medicine or something, right? So they had too much Michelob in the morning. And so Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, um, has this apologetic sermon. And this is what he says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third day or third hour of the day. And then he says this, but this is what uh, is uttered through the prophet Joel. And he quotes in verse 17. And in the last days, everyone say the last days. Peter is saying, hey guys, the last days has arrived, right? This is God's future world has, has come Uh, Winter is over, springtime is here, has arrived. Uh, This is eschatological talk, right? Eschatology is all about how God has fulfilled the story that we find in the Old Testament. So the last days are here. Creation is never gonna be the same again. And God declares, again, this is a quotation out of Joel chapter two, that I will what? Pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters Shall prophesy. I love this. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even all my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes in the great and magnificent day. And we'll end here in verse 21. And he says, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Joel 2 is not about the the end of the space-time continuum, right? So this kind of otherworldly destruction language is not the literal destruction of the material world. God's not gonna throw earth into a cosmic dumpster fire. Can I get an amen? That would be a defeat. No, God is going to heal it. So this like destruction of the space-time continuum rhetoric is all about how God will judge and bring justice to planet earth or to creation itself, number one. Number two, what we find is that the spirit of God is poured out not just on a few apostles and disciples, but the spirit of God is poured out on everyone. So the language, and this is for lack of a better term because there's a lot of baggage with this term, so just go with me. The Spirit of God is democratized to everybody. In other words, there's not a hierarchy where God's Spirit is available to maybe a prophet, a priest, and a king or someone who has the right family background or someone that's a part of the priestly kinship group or whatever. No, anybody who calls on the name of the Lord, the Spirit of God is available to them. And the language that is used to give shape to these early Christians' life is they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit was poured out into their lives. I love this Greek word. We, we mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Baptizo is the Greek word for baptized. And in the ancient Near East, it's associated with a ship being submerged in the shadowy depths. It also, in some Greek lit, a couple thousand years ago, it represented someone who uh, was sinking in the mud. Their life was totally immersed in something. So this word baptize is evocative. It describes our life before God. Now, I I had this conversation with our staff a couple weeks ago, I think with interns as well. We talked about pickles. How many of you like pickles? Okay, how many of you actually Pickle. Okay, a few of you. First service, almost every hand went up. It was a little weird, right? A little weird. So I didn't, I I'm, you know I'm a farmer, but I kind of didn't know about pickling. I don't know if you know this, but pickles don't grow on trees, right? Pickles don't come out of the soil. Some of your mind is blown right now. You're like, oh my gosh, pickles are not like inherently a pickle. No, pickle is a transformed cucumber. Some of you are like, oh my God, this is amazing. So what do they do? Like if you pickle, you you, you take vinegar. Some of you, I think you take, you take sugar, you take some garlic, you take some acid. I don't even know what acid is. Not like real acid, but like, anyways. And you you put it, you create this concoction, you take a cucumber and you submerge it in the vinegar. And over time, I don't know how long it takes to pickle a cucumber, but over time, that cucumber turns into a pickle because that cucumber was submerged in the vinegar. This, it's, it's, it's a poor analogy, but it does at least give you a picture of our life before God. You make a decision, you call on the name of the Lord. You believe that Jesus is Christ or the Messiah and Lord, which is Kyrios K Christos. He is King and Lord over the universe. When you make that decision, as Joel talked about it, as Tracy talked about it, that Jesus, your sovereignty is global. It's not only global, it's cosmic. It's not only cosmic, but you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you are Lord over my life. When you make the decision and you repent, you turn away from dehumanized styles of behavior and habits that lead you away from God himself. And in baptism, in baptism, you publicly identify with the way of Jesus. In other words, your life in baptism is marked out by the power of God. In baptism, and as a Christian, when you call on the name of the Lord, the Spirit of God is poured out on your life. You are then submerged in the life and the power and the love and the grace of God himself. Now, you don't have to feel this. You don't have to just think about this to get into this. This is... What defines what it means to be a Christian? Submerged. Baptized. This is your starting point. Amen. You are baptized in the Spirit of God. This is why Martin Luther said over and over to himself, and I mention this all the time, he coined the Latin phrase, Baptisa tus what? Baptisa tus sum, I am Baptized. That's our starting point, not scarcity, not our feels, not what we're going through, not our hardships. Our starting point, our beginning place, is that we are submerged in the life of God, in his presence and in his power. Can I get an amen, church? So we have this, I love this provocative text in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 and 13. It describes our life before God. Paul writes, for just as the body is one and as many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And he continues, for in one spirit, everyone say one spirit. We were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. You were made to imbibe of one spirit. I love how evocative that is, right? I love Joel. Jo- jo- I love that. Hammock. On a warm summer day, drinking some nice, cool pink, I like to add pink, <laughs> lemonade. Right, that doesn't mean we don't go through problems. It doesn't mean we don't have struggles. It doesn't mean we, uh, we, we live perfect lives. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have imperfections in our life. It just means that baptism is our starting point. We drink of the Spirit. We go to Joel 2. As we mentioned it before, Peter gets up and he talks about hate. And I love this. He goes, the spirit of God is available now to all people. There's no gender distinction. And all the men said amen. And all the women said "Amen." amen. Doesn't matter if you're a male or female, God's spirit is available to you. There's no classism. I love this. There's no like rich or poor because it says that the spirit of God will fall on your female and male servants. So whether you come from the wrong side of the track, whether you got the right family or not, whether people called you blessed or not blessed, whether you're an outsider or an insider, that's all irrelevant. Everything is level at the foot of the cross and in the waters of baptism. Jesus Christ is Lord. There's not like 35,000 different families defined by different ethnicities. We have one family that's beautifully diverse that's now subsumed in the one God who is transforming creation. And I wish we were in a charismatic church this morning and I'd get at least one amen. This is good news. So you could be tall and short and skinny and whatever, right? You can have money, not money. You can, you can have the right clothes, not the right clothes. It doesn't matter. Everything is leveled, the foot of the cross and in the waters of baptism. And the spirit of God is available to all people. Also, this is a rejection of ageism. It says that your old men and young men will dream dreams and visions. But what's the defining thing? What's the defining thing that sets the people of God apart or marks them? Is that they, uh, you're going to love this, they're going to prophesy. They prophesy. Right, let me just say this real quick. I think I have to demystify Uh, the the stereotype of prophecy. When we think of prophecy, we think of like some eccentric person getting up, speaking in like old English, right? Not only old English, uh, maybe if you're a millennial, maybe you think of of goat yoga, right? You think of something really weird and you think of prophecy associated with just some weird thing, like mountain man, eccentric stuff, yoga, whatever, goat yoga, right? Anyways, first service got that. Um, But many people think weird thoughts about prophecy, Like we got to like change our voice, we got to chant, we got to do weird stuff, and that's not what prophecy is all about. Hey man, if you're weird, that's not the Spirit of God, you're just weird. Right? I just, I just, I feel like I have like a pastoral responsibility or an ultimatum to to challenge weird people who want to call weirdness the Holy Spirit. Right? So we're not going to play that game in the church. Now, I believe God can go beyond the status quo. And I think we need to be okay with God disrupting our services like this morning. I thought that was a beautiful reminder that God is sovereign. Amen. But prophecy, I'm going to define it really quick. And this is how God speaks to us. Because essentially the message today is how God speaks to us. I want to talk about the definition of prophecy It's not some chanting. It's not some weird ecstatic moment that happens to you. It's simply God speaking to you and through you to other people. It's God speaking to you in a moment, speaking to you and speaking through you to other people. And prophecy is meant to mark out God's people. It's a sign that new creation is here. Now, I don't want to give lip service to God speaking to us. I I really want to hear God speak. I really want to partner with what God is doing in our city and in our church by opening my heart to him and hearing his voice. And Paul thinks the same way. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 5, he says, pursue love. How many of you think love is good? Okay. He says, pursue love and earnestly. This is a soft command. Earnestly. The word earnestly in in the original language simply means to boil over. So you need to have like a a deep desire for this. So if you're serious about love, here's a soft command, man, boil over with a desire for the spiritual gifts. Now, spiritual gifts is a bad translation, a better translation from one pastor uh, is spirituals. I think that's all right. I like another translation from another scholar who says we need to take spiritual gifts and uh, translate that as the stuff stuff that the Spirit of God does. The stuff that the Spirit of God does. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Spiritual gifts implies that there's a hierarchy in the kingdom of God. Some have the prophetic gift and some don't. Well, Paul doesn't believe that. Paul believes that the stuff that the Spirit of God does is available to everyone. You don't have to be an Episcopal bishop to have the Spirit of God speaking through you. You don't have to be Billy Graham. You don't have to be Mother Teresa. You don't have to be Pastor Ken. You don't have to be my wife, right? Kelly, and how many of you love Kelly? She's amazing. She's a spitfire, right? Um, God speaks through them, yes, but you don't have to have a position or a title to have access to God's voice and to the stuff or the things that the Spirit of God does. So pursue love And earnestly to desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may what? Prophesy. Again, prophesy is not getting up on the stage and doing chant and speaking in old English. Prophecy is simply hearing the voice of God and speaking that to people. Verse 2: For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So what Paul is doing, he's coming to correct the church in Corinth. Corinth, if, you if you're not familiar, it's a cosmopolitan town, a lot of different religious options. Uh, the church uh, that Paul is speaking to, and they're a little bit out of order when it comes to tongues. We'll probably talk about that over the next few weeks. So he's coming to correct a wrong use of speaking in tongues. And then in verse 3, he says, On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. He continues in verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Verse 5, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. This is interesting. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. We flip down to, I think it's verse 23, kind of the end of the chapter. Paul continues, I think we have that. If therefore the whole church, Paul continues, comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he's called to account by all. Verse 25, the secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Verse 26, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, but let all things be done for building up. And then we end in verse 39, the end of the chapter. Paul concludes by saying, so my brothers earnestly desire, it's a soft command, this is available to everybody, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, earnestly desire to prophesy. So do you, do you know that God wants to speak to you? That God is speaking, I believe, every single day? I think unfortunately we get way too distracted in life. We got a lot of good people here that love Jesus, but I think we get so busy that, and you might get frustrated because you're so busy, Because you can't, in busyness, you can't totally hear what God wants to speak to you. But we believe the relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit is defined by God's voice. Jesus even said, my sheep will hear and know my voice. So what's our response to um, being prophetic? Because being prophetic is what gives shape to the Christian life. Not being eccentric. Can I get an amen to that? Uh, not, not kind of going off and doing some weird stuff, but hearing God speak, hearing his voice, and then having a heart or a life that's open to God speaking through you. That gives shape to the Christian life. So why is it that we don't hear God's voice more than we probably should? And we'll get into that maybe over the next several weeks I, I think one of the reasons, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. As I close this message, I promise we're almost done here. Uh, the first thing is, I don't know if we want it. I think we're self-satisfied. I think we have just enough to satisfy our lives. We got Mickey D's, right? We got Netflix, right? We got Friday Night Lights, right? We have flag football. We got, we got TV, We got our phones, we just got just enough to keep us satisfied even though we live miserable lives. Here's the thing, do you want, I'm just gonna ask the question, do you want God to speak to you? Do we want it? Number one. Number two, I think maybe one of the reasons why we don't hear God speak to us or speak through us to other people is because I don't think we have a high expectation got this from Shane Grove. I'll probably have him share this over the next few weeks. I just don't think our expectation is high when it comes to God speaking through us to other people. I think we play the game of, okay, there is a hierarchy in the kingdom of God. And I don't know why just my voice went that way. Right? Pastor Ken can hear the voice of God. Pastor Tracy can hear the voice of God. That that stuff's not for me. And I think people have a high expectation for other stuff. I think we have a high expectation for our life to go sideways. I think many people have a high expectation that life isn't gonna turn out the way that they thought it would. I think we expect stuff to go wrong. Some of you, your your starting point is inadequacy. Your starting point is um, uh, fear and maybe even complacency. What we need and what Paul is suggesting in 1 Corinthians 14 that we need to practice the art of expecting or having a high expectancy that God will speak to us and through us to other people. Do you have a high expectation? Do you believe that God wants to speak to you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday? I, um, I started really, over the last month, I've been thinking about this, and so I just, I, one day I woke up and said, God, okay, um, I, I just want to get deeper in this prophetic stuff. I want you to speak through me, um, so my heart's open. A couple days later, I had to run an errand to, uh, it was late at night, it was like a Saturday night, I had to get ready for the morning, Sunday morning. I had to run an errand and go to Jackson's, this Jackson's store. You just, you just don't want to go to gas stations late at night. Can I get any man of that, right? Uh, but there's one gentleman. He's like the cash register guy, is that what you call him. And uh, I see him often, really nice guy. But he just, we just, there's just something something weird, right? So I, I tried to um, like get in and get out really quick. And I got my stuff and put it on the, on the counter And uh, I just, I wasn't gonna have have a conversation with them. I didn't want to get another dirty joke, right? It's like 11 o'clock at night. I'm just like, I just want to get out of there. Instantly when I put my stuff on the counter, is this crazy, don't call me crazy. In a matter of like five seconds, it it was like a vignette, a series of vignettes where I saw his life in four stages. My heart broke for him, my heart broke for him. I gotta be honest, I didn't like him, now I love him. But I saw his early years, then I saw his 20s. It happened like in five seconds, it's weird. 20s, his 30s, and then his 50s and 60s. So we started talking. Um, to be honest, I was a little bit disobedient. I didn't want to share this with him or share anything, so I just walked out. And then uh, I had to walk back in. We started talking about this. It's, it's amazing how... Um, God, if your heart is open, God, God will use you. So do you have a high expectation? Do you want this? Do you have a high expectation? How, how do you develop um, uh, this sensitivity to the voice of God? Uh, well, as I mentioned, you gotta want it. You have a high expectation and you also have to know God's word. I recommend that you be in God's word every day as much as possible. The more you know God's word, we have a high view of scripture. We believe that God's voice does not contradict his word. But if you want to know God's voice, you got to know God's word. And if you want to develop more sensitivity or enlarge your heart to the voice of God, um, practice this. After you get in God's word, practice noticing what's going on in your head. In other words, uh, one pastor said this, I love this, we, we, every single day, hear God's voice. We just don't recognize it. Some of you don't realize that God's talking to you, and you hear it, but you think that's something else. The way you recognize God's voice is you gotta be in God's word. You see, God wants to speak to you. God is at work in our lives, and we have a responsibility to be on mission to serve the city, and to love the city, and to serve each other, because prophecy is God speaking through us to build others up, to give them strength, to give them life. Prophecy is not just prediction. It's not predictive. It can be every now and then, but mostly prophecy is about the person that God is making you into. It's about giving life and encouragement and hope and strength, and every now and then, in love, correction. God wants to speak to us. The Spirit of God is available to us. I want you to participate in this. Can I get an amen to that? Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com.